Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. everyone what is up it is me not scott Telford of the what culture gaming podcast and today i am joined by the venerable jules gill hello everyone and the bodacious ben roy turner how are you video games yes because we're here today to talk about an interesting thing which is video game franchises and identity because in this current gen we've seen a lot of different video game titles basically transform into different genres and to accommodate different trends as the years mm. have gone by and borderlands 3 comes out this week i believe mm-hmm. and that is a game that or oh, series really and i know it's been absent for a good few years now but you know that is a title that has just recently released and that hasn't really changed all that much over the years apart from you know making itself a little bit bigger and mm, stuff mm. and you know you could potentially argue that borderlands series a trendsetter as well when mm. you look at loot shooters and how they've kind of come to dominate the industry but i thought it'd be an interesting topic to kind of like delve into and look at how video games over the past decade have really kind of you know transformed to really accommodate trends that have really kind of dominated everything because it's very important for a video game to have an identity if you are just a nameless faceless shooter out there you're not going to stand out from the crowd and to be honest we've seen actually like uh people looking or assuming something's identity when it comes to video games as being a uh, like a negative like for example uh spec ops the line everyone mm. just wrote that off as just being a trite war shooter but actually was a very interesting thing with something to say and that is its identity mm. and i feel like if that's your usp and you need to be shouting it out to everyone but borderlands 3 at the moment seems to be just basically coasting on yeah we know we're a big deal yeah and it's interesting that there are loads of other industries out there that seem to as time has gone on try less because the fan base has already grown to such a size mm-hmm. that they can just basically guarantee it when's the last time that you think that fifa put the effort in mm-hmm. a very long time ago they and put a story mode in like maybe two years bad, ago though. it's bad it's bad the <laughs> yeah. journey's bad well, I, said, I said effort the oh, best journey sorry. the best journey about the journey was the fact that it came to an end but yeah uh, Ben you've been playing Gears 5 this week as well Gears 5, would yes. you say that you know Gears I think that's an interesting example to pull from because I look at something like Halo and mm. I absolutely adore Halo but when Bungie left that series and this isn't to slight 343 Industries whatsoever you definitely saw Halo change its identity to accommodate different trends with the FPS yeah. genre like you had um, you had like more diff- different kinds of weapons are being introduced the way you kind of um, engaged in combat was less traditionally Halo and um, whereas Gears looking at it now it kind of still looks like the same game it was a few years ago it's, it's weird because I'm very much the same with Gears as you are with Halo like mm-hmm. it's very like it was the first game I got on the 360 Gears of War and I like played the heck out of all those like free games and then when I heard Gears was coming back I was like yes but then mm. we had the Dometric effect where the whole of like Microsoft just got you know shattered from you can play this on Xbox 360 oh, yeah. and then from then I just we, we get Gears 4 and mm-hmm. it wasn't as bad as like I would say like 
the effect on Halo 5 and 4 and 5 have been where they were kind of like say doing nothing and then went in like a really weird direction mm-hmm. but with Gears 5 it's come along and I, I was worried about the open world sort of aspects where everyone's like Gears is now open world what does this mean for it sort of thing whereas like it's actually quite good. Mm-hmm. But but you can see why people were worried yeah. about it. Because the fact it was basically like, when somebody uses the word, oh, it's got open world aspects in now, that is a game. A Gears yeah. of War is a game that I would say that does not need open world aspects. It was yeah. fine at what it was because it knew what it was. The problem that I feel that it has is that it had a naturally closed trilogy with Gears of War 3. When they started pulling it up for Gears of War 4 and giving it a new identity, they overwrote what was mm. made the first three games so special. I do feel like 4 did it better than Halo 4, though, whereas like they had the example of the um, the big weapon at the very end of three. I can't remember exactly what it's called, but well, the it, Dawn of Hammer style it, thing. Uh, it encased oh all the locusts in sort of like a shell. Oh, basically that like, stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Basically, yeah. like you know, when a caterpillar goes and becomes like a beautiful butterfly. Not to quote a Bug's Life, and they all sort of like we got the new sort of version of the locust, which was the swarm, and then mm-hmm. we kind of get a new generation. And I also feel like. Sure, we have like Marcus Finney's like son in this, and like, oh god, we have to. It has to be a direct descendant, but it was far enough away where they could try some new things. They didn't try nothing for. In five, I feel like they do a lot more, mm. and now there's enough. There's a lot more callbacks to like the more previous games. Like you even like go to a certain place from one of the older games, right. and that was very much like a oh. They, so they now they understand like they need to go back there and have enough nostalgia for what is there, but also do enough new and I think this is almost the perfect blend now sure the open world like has been like very like people said it's empty but yeah. for me like if you go out into it's weird like it's a bad argument but if you go into a field or something or like a desert there's not going to be things littered around like you go through and but, it's more of a travelling mechanism to get to the stuff but then you have just answered my reason of why they shouldn't have included it because if there's nothing in there yeah. like mm. Red Dead 2 is a perfect example of how to do uh, sort of emergent storytelling in just whatever your destination along the journey yeah. you will have Damn mini right, adventures boy. and it'll be fun no matter what's happening whereas if you basically just go here is a massive land to explore oh cool cool mm. what, what is that to do in it nothing much it just it looks nice is it used as a loading screen basically to the kind of if I yeah. had someone with his cattle in Gears of War just going I need some help over here boy I'd be like come on <laughs> well, what's this going is the on? question that I have to ask you you know even with the, the implementation of these open world elements and you, you mentioned nostalgia there as an interesting point as well because yeah. one of the things I think not to focus on the Microsoft exclusives too much mm. is that Halo after Bungie left traded too heavily with nostalgia like you had the chief coming back to do the you know pick up the fight again yeah. and then you obviously they, they divested from Cortana and then you had the different things going there even though chief is still the protagonist there, I would say that Halo as a franchise, its identity has slowly changed with each iteration. Whereas with Gears, even though you're saying, you know, it's no longer Marcus Phoenix is a descendant and whatever, um, that's still quintessentially aesthetically the same game as before. And yeah. I think, you know, even if, if you talk about the open worlds being potentially superfluous, it's still... It, they can still implement it without losing anything about Gears being Gears. Well, I will so. say, just for mm. I know they've taken the war out of Gears of War, mm-hmm. but this is one of the first games that has actually felt like a war. Mm. Like in the very like the first sort of act when you really get it going, you feel a sense of dread and like, oh damn, this is actually a threat this time mm. rather than like say, um, we're fighting down some grey streets and there's three or four bad guys. It actually like through the cutscenes, it actually really builds the game up like mm-hmm. as the new threat. Like it's weird. This feels like the. Five feels like what four should have been. Mm-hmm. 
I in, think, a, in a way. I, I think that um, with the Halo uh, case, you said that they brought back um, Master Chief and they brought back Cortana mm-hmm. and they brought back all of the fan favorites. But the problem was, is that that game was basically trading on somebody else's created yes, identity. Exactly. Yeah. It was like another, and you, you see that a lot. Most of the times that you'll hear reviewers say like, this game doesn't feel like it should do. Like mm-hmm. um, the Arkham Origins game mm-hmm. doesn't feel necessarily like a regular Batman game because it was made by a different studio. And it's them basically taking the identity and I, we're going to keep using that word because it is the subject of yes. this podcast and they're taking it but they're trying to apply it to their own methods mm-hmm. and new um, like uh, what's the word I'm looking for new engines new stories and stuff like that that just don't necessarily fit because that wasn't the original intention mm-hmm. for them and that's interesting because we're going to talk about you know um, innovation and kind of mm-hmm. how franchises naturally progress and do they progress to a certain point where they're not kind of how you remember they were or yeah. necessarily when does a game stop being a game in a, in a, yeah. in a weird way not that it, it stops being a game but when does a game stop being what it you know it really was good at trading at I think a really good example here is the Ubisoft titles and the Tom Clancy Ubisoft titles in particular mm. because you know Ubisoft really cut the mustard in the early 2000s on providing these um, in-depth pseudo-realistic tactical experiences whether that was Rainbow Six or Ghost Recon and then later Splinter Cell as well and all, of the, all three of those franchises have undergone um, very very interesting developments over the past decade mm-hmm. so you look at something like Rainbow Six you know, back in the day, that was built as a very compelling single-player first-person and third-person shooter, and then into a compelling co-op game, and then in later, you know, now today, Rainbow Six Siege is the premier, you know, first-person tactical, um, almost, you know, the focus is on esports of Rainbow Six Siege and the multiplayer. You look at something like Ghost Recon, they've gone from everything from having, you know, the tactical gameplay to it yeah. to being a linear uh, third-person shooter, to then shoehorning in open-world elements, and then with Breakpoint, we've obviously got the divisionization of the game as well, and Splinter Cell is another example, you know, you've had that game franchise changed to accommodate action trends in the past and then moved back to stealth and then it's kind of just failed to exist for the past five years and my question kind of with that maybe is have Ubisoft looked at the different trends that are going on right now and struggling to see where a stealth game actually fits there? I feel like um, Splinter Cell was one of the very uh, many franchises that stumbled because it tried to follow mm-hmm. rather than lead. I feel like when you look at that sort of, that lineage of that game, it was setting trends with how it dealt with stealth and action. And the moment that it started saying like, okay, we're going to put a multiplayer element in, mm. that, which was fine because it was great. Spider-Man Spider-Man was, amazing. was amazing. But it was like, it was that was the tipping point because they started adding in more features that were reminiscent of other third-person action titles mm-hmm. and by the end of it what was the last game called again Blacklist it was, was a pretty good uh, it was fine uh, yeah yeah it's a fine game but the reliance on the co-op nature of it suddenly mm. changed what that game was effectively about because you're like okay it's no longer it's now a shared action experience mm-hmm. rather than a solo stealth experience and mm. I feel like the it was interesting listening to you describe that franchise because for a second I thought if I exchange the word Tom Clancy and Ghost Recon and mm-hmm. uh, Rainbow Six from this and just put in the words Resident Evil, yes. it's exactly the same franchise tale. Yeah. Like, yes, but the interesting thing is with, with Resi, and I don't, I kind of want to come back to Ubisoft in a little bit as well. Mm-hmm. But the interesting thing with Resi is that you know you look at that franchise and to many its most iconic entry, Resident Evil Four, I would potentially argue um, that was a very that was a clean break for the franchise because before that it was kind of not isometric but it was fixed. Camry, you know, and then for up the action, up the third person gameplay. And today, that would be many's, you know, definitive vision of Resident Evil, which again is interesting. And you look. kind of did what Jules said, it led instead Mm -hmm. of followed. It it found that we saw that that old material, like Mm -hmm. that old, like, way of doing things was kind of getting a bit thin. 
and it went and goes, no, we're just going to change perspective and go but in. I was going to also ask you, with with Resident Evil 5 and 6, mm-hmm. you had people almost railing against what Capcom were doing there because you had more of an action focus, yeah. but it was still Resident Evil at its core, just the weird thing. It's, you know? it's strange because if they had put that game, those two games out under the name, the Japanese name that they have is Biohazard, if they mm. just put them out as Resident Evil Biohazard as a spin-off thing, I bet you they would have done really, really well. But mm. because they kept them as numbered main entries to it, people really did look at what Resident Evil 1 was, looked at what Resident Evil 4 was, realized that it was kind of neither of those two things and almost over the top and too like B-movie-esque to be taken seriously. And they just said, this isn't doesn't feel like Resident Evil because somewhere along the way we've lost the message of what the survival horror game was about. You can have moments of cheese, you can have over-the-top villains, you can have monsters that are like chasing you down, whatever. But for some reason, all of those combined to make Resident Evil 6 didn't work. Mm-hmm. It's kind of weird in a way because... Those two games are, I think, the two best-selling in the series. They are, so because they appeal to the most mainstream things. But though. it's admirable that Capcom went, no, nah, come on, we need to stop this. We can see that the money's coming in, but like critically in the fans, they're not wanting this sort of thing. So they went back to Seven, and then they reinvented what Resident Evil kind of mm-hmm. was again. Mm-hmm. And they, no, I would say, harped on like, you know, the the thing at the time with that horror games of first person, not much combat creeping around a house. But they kind of went back to the roots in a house and they changed perspective enough. And then we got two and then it's kind of like, well, now the debate isn't, oh, Resident Evil, what can we do to fix this? Which one do we want more? Yeah, Which know. one of these children mm. do we love more? What they're, do we want next? They are literally in the best possible position. How they have managed to do this is like, it must have taken such balls to do because mm. like, imagine going in there and just being like, look, we're making a VR experience. And they'd be like, fine, is that a spin-off game? No, it's a main numbered entry. Everyone at that table must have been like, that's <laughs> mad, man. Like, just cash yeah. your check. Yeah. Just don't think that's this. the genius of that, sound, that franchise. It's so heterogeneous in terms yeah. of its different approaches to genres to the point where I don't think Resident Evil could ever lose its quote-unquote identity because it's got its fingers in so many pies. Yeah, which again is very interesting. We're going to get the quote like outbreak multiplayer yeah, yeah, style yeah, exactly. yeah. again soon. Yeah. So. Which, which again feels like it is in a way following a trend that's been set by others but because of the fact that it's managed to approach other genres with such confidence that it pulls it off you have to say yeah I'm actually excited about this for some reason even though I'm dreading inside saying that I we don't know enough about this mm-hmm. but if it becomes some sort of like battle royale experience oh, in God. some form I will still be excited <laughs> we, about we've it. lived through those How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? 
For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Before we go any further, I want to talk to you about today's sponsor, Masterclass. With the amount of time we spend discussing and analyzing video games on this channel, it's always good to understand exactly how these experiences are put together. And fortunately for me, I can do just that with Masterclass. With Masterclass's streaming service, you can learn from the best to become your best, studying and growing with over 200 plus of the world's leading instructors. For me, I've been having a blast using a class on video game design by The Sims creator Will Wright to find out exactly how game mechanics are designed around player psychology as well as learning how important playtesting is to shipping the titles that you and I both love. But it hasn't stopped there, as I've also been brushing up on my practical filmmaking skills directly from my favourite movie director Martin Scorsese, as well as trying to get back in the cooking game with Roy Choi's amazing course on intuitive cooking. Seriously, my kitchen is a mess, but my belly has never been more grateful. For just $10 a month, an annual membership with Masterclass gets you unlimited access to courses on your phone, computer, smart TV, or even via audio-only modes. Even better, every new membership comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee, and 88% of members feel that the service has made a positive impact on their lives. And to put the cherry on top of that cake, right now, What Culture Gaming listeners get an additional 15% off any annual membership at masterclass.com forward slash gaming. That's 15% off at masterclass.com slash gaming. What's that? You want it one more time? Well, that's the URL masterclass.com forward slash gaming. Right, now I'm going to watch Tony Hawk try to teach me how to ollie properly. I'll see you all soon. The PS2 and PS1 era were some of them weren't <laughs> as good. Yeah. Sort of yeah. So. Oh, Umbrella Chronicles. Oh. I was going to mention because you talked, you picked it. Again, Umbrella Chronicles is a good point as well because you had the, the lean to esports there. Have you ever seen that clip where it's really cringe and they got the commentators? Yes, oh, really bad. Um, you mentioned how Resi 7 kind of pulled a little bit from the outlasts of the world. You yes. know, you had the, that first person, um, the new perspective. And obviously that came from, you know, those different games having immense success. And we're looking at different franchises trying to accommodate um games that capture specific moments in the in, in or specific moments in the franchise so you look at something like a a fortnite or a titanfall um those games started out as first person and third person um action games mm-hmm. respectively and you look at titanfall 2 specifically the, you know fantastic unique fps offering made by the guys who did modern warfare um and then you look at something like apex legends and i know they said at the time that it wasn't meant to cash in on any of the battle royale mm. craze but come on who are you kidding and you know would you say that apex legends and you know you're looking at other titles as well I, I think of Assassin's Creed as a good one as well because oh, yeah. you look at um, all the games up until Syndicate and then after Syndicate you had Origins and Odyssey and those games are made to cash on the RPG kind of loot shooter kind of craze that we've had over recent years and you look at that and you think how are individual games that are you know inspiring that are massive hits like mm-hmm. PUBG, like your like your Fortnite's and whatever? How do how they have the power to get sh- like publishers to just hit the panic button and say, okay, you adopt that lucrative model, and then what happens then? Two I mean, of the biggest franchises, like shooter wise, mm-hmm. Battlefield and Call of Duty, both got a, a battle royale mode. Yeah, and it was just like 
it was such a rift. Mm-hmm. Like, no, not every game has to have this as a mode. It's more of the game. It's really weird how that just happened. It's There's this thing to be said about, like, when a publisher or developer captures lightning in a bottle you'll notice that there is this massive undercurrent and swell that comes about a couple of months after where people suddenly just go that was a great idea we have to have that in our game that to me is like you were saying it's the panic button it's by companies that don't necessarily have the confidence to come up and strike out on their own because they think it's much easier to follow a crowd and to be fair you can see why you look at the numbers and the turnover from Fortnite and PUBG and you just go right Let's put a Battle Royale mode yeah. in our game because people want to play them. I mean, you look at um, Black Ops 4, people were commending how good Blackout mode was in uh, Black Ops... Was Black Ops 4? Well, it was 4, yeah. Yes. yeah. Um, commending how good Blackout mode was in that. So you have to be like, oh, okay, fair enough. Sometimes following the crowd, but mm-hmm. having your own stamp on it can still give your game identity. And I think Battlefield, not to interject too quickly, yeah. but you know, Battlefield 5 is an, is an interesting example here because you think of what happened with first-person shooters kind of towards the end of the decade or the middle of the decade, actually, where you had loads of these um, Black Ops 2, Black Ops 3, near-future experiences mm-hmm. when people were really craving, or the, the series hardcore fans of Call of Duty were really craving you know um boots on the ground authentic experiences or, or, or as authentic as a video game can be and it's interesting to me that you had Call of Duty uh setting that precedent with modern warfare mm. when battlefield then shifted you know battlefield 2 obviously came up beforehand but whatever and you had these more modern shooters and then you see people starting to get a little bit sick and stale of this formula as everyone leads into that trend and then battlefield comes around and it's like we'll do world war one and then we'll do world war two yeah. and then call of duty comes around and goes we'll do world war two and it's interesting to me how this is so cyclical and it's very reactive and not proactive yeah the um it, you look at the gaming at uh, the state of the gaming industry at the moment and it's very homogenous mm-hmm. you have your top titles and they are the franchises and they will always remain like that and it's strange because you scratch the surface you go into any independent games list or even double a titles and you will find a wealth of identity with people experimenting with crazy mechanics stories to tell even games like the last of us that are like built with uh, massive amounts of funding they are still personal tales with tons of identity yet i ask you this if we were on the last of us seven right now Mm -hmm. would we still be shining so much about this franchise would we be going it does feel a bit samey now it's 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 just oversaturation it's Mm -hmm. why um naughty dog canned uh crash bandicoot after three it's why they canned it after jack three because they were just like look we're done telling the story let's move on Uncharted was a rare thing for them to do Uncharted 4 and it was mm-hmm. like they need to move on from there because that's lost its identity as well not in a bad way mm-hmm. it's just what else is there to tell well, that's interesting as well you mentioned Uncharted you had the Tomb Raider reboot which ironically lifted heavily from Uncharted yeah, when everyone was just like oh yeah. this is just a rip off of Tomb Raider it's Dude Raider and then all of a sudden <laughs> it's just like well actually no it's riffing on that like yeah. it's mad you see it in films as well like mm-hmm. when Jason Bourne came out and the Bond series started aping yeah. that for a bit because of the fact that they didn't know they were challenged so what what they thought to do was instead of innovate they just tried to emulate mm. and that's and that's what we're just seeing in the gaming industry now do you think that you know obviously we talk about game franchises having to adapt and thrive and survive as, as certain genres you know kind of go out of style and fashion and stuff um what what games do you think have really made apart from you know re, we have resident evil as an example as well what games do you really think actually you know they they embrace the change and actually manage to make a success of it without alienating that hardcore because i'm struggling to think of an example where that's actually happened i think that it's a case of uh, drilling down into what makes your game so special mm-hmm. and it leads us kind of full circle back to borderlands 3 mm-hmm. because that 
all that's done is really changed the setting and mm. the overall message to from taking the piss out of wannabe megalomaniacs to taking the piss out of Twitch streamers. That's mm. basically what we're doing in this game. So it's a case of that game hasn't changed much. It's just gone right here. We are bigger I, and better. The weird thing about that as well is that that you know you look at the first two Borderlands games as trendsetters, mm. and you look at how you know you had Destiny and Destiny Two come out after that, and you look at how you know different franchises have looked to basically capitalize on the loot shooter format with the yeah. division and stuff like that as well. And you you would have thought that ten years or no, like seven years out of the game, you'd think maybe they've maybe is this going to be like another entry in this? Have they yeah. like but they've come back and and bought it to its brought it to its core in a weird way it's very strange isn't yeah it? and like, I don't, you kind of have to admire the proactive nature of it rather than the reactive nature of it yeah and i don't know if that's my inner cynicism leaping w- out there i would have expected the new borderlands to be a bit more like say uh go into like the hitman games how mm. they went and made the big mistake of mm-hmm. we need to react and be an action game mm-hmm. and then the very last minute make this a hitman game mm-hmm. and now we've got these new hitmans where they've made it a proper hit well not i say a proper hitman game but we've got Hitman kind of like back, but on a grander scale. Yeah. Mm. And with more of a choice and you can do what you sort of you want, but like not afraid to push it a bit and not just be small isolated levels of what we had without the first couple of games. I think it all comes down to though is that we all are saying the same thing where mm-hmm. it's like it's developers who push and try to break the mold. Mm-hmm. You know what that means? That means that they're venturing into uncharted territories and uncharted territories might not make them money. Risky investors. And it's yeah. why we, um, Josh did a uh, an article a while back on why Activision doesn't make any games yeah. anymore. It's because of the fact that they know what makes them money. So mm-hmm. why should they try anything different? Yeah. Pro- they're, they're basically saying prove us wrong, guys. And it's also kind and like well after we had RE4 going back to that with the over the shoulder perspective mm-hmm. and then Gears of War took that a bit further mm-hmm. with the cover based combat we had cover based shooters for like 10 years like yeah. exactly the same almost yeah. or, but played worse mm. sort of thing it, it's so weird because out of that you get games that come up like Vanquish I know I bang on about this a lot which <laughs> yeah. is effectively a cover shooter but everyone went mad for it because of the fact it was the momentum that were carried yeah. in that game so what that did was it was like yeah it's derivative in a sense that it's not doing anything new but the way it did it in, yeah in, the in way a, I think I was going to touch on that in a second because it's kind of like I was going to ask how do you think a gaming series perseveres in spite of these trends because you think about it and I know you, it's yeah. dangerous when you get kind of lost in the online circles and you get only listening to the series hardcore because they only speak for a fraction mm-hmm. of the audience and you look at certain games that are picked up by listening to the hardcore like Battlefront 2 but maybe what we're looking for here is almost like what Call of Duty has done I mean you know that came at the expense of the, the single player campaign you know, the behind-the-scenes yep. troubles at Treyarch during all, throughout all of that sound absolutely horrific. But is there a way to kind of accommodate both? Are we looking for fresh ways of capturing these lightning-in-the-bottle moments? Or is that in itself still a very reactive, um, you know, frustrating it's trend? Hard because with, with a name, say, like with Gears on it or with Halo on it, you expect a certain level of Gears or Halo. You need that with that sort of go forward. If not, people are going to buy and feel cheated with what they've sort mm-hmm. of got. But then you get something like brand new, like, I know it's kind of like, it's brand new, but it's in the sort of like uh, Remedy Realm Control. Like, oh, I love that game. Man. I've I've not played something like that, that has had me so excited to just keep playing a game and playing it to like, say, three in the morning that wasn't like an online game in quite a while now. You're up until three in the morning every day, Ben Roy. I know, I'm always up until three in the morning <laughs> doing something. But play, I was playing Control this time. Mm. Now I'm kind of playing Catherine to like whatever time in the morning, but we'll come back to that. But Control is something that I, you you won't want you won't want something in, in like say 
uh, gears start flying and using their mind to crush things. No, there are de- there are definite genres that should not be crossed. Yeah, like I don't want to see Rocket League making its way into I don't know open world territory. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like, like there there are certain things that just don't make sense from a financial and from like yeah. a thing. Like sometimes it is better for them to find their wheelhouse and stick to it. And I, yeah, I would say my closing point on this is mm-hmm. there is a huge systematic problem with that though because let's take FIFA as an example. They have locked themselves into a corner right now because of the fact that their fees for licensing players are only ever going up and up and up. The way that they're making the money to afford these fees is the ultimate team. (laughs) That means now that they are less about making a new football game as they are keeping the ultimate team service going and as much as possible. So they are actually putting more development time into making that as an addictive practice as as possible. So now what they've done is their innovation has now led possibly to their own demise. Mm-hmm. We will be looking in the future if this carries on at the rate that they are increasing, either FIFA losing all of its licenses, which I actually genuinely hope it does so that other people can move in. Pez is pretty enjoyable, just Pez, saying. It's very, very good game from yeah. what I've seen, but otherwise we're going to see them cannibalize themselves yeah. trying to make it, make it work. I was going to end before we kind of push on to our final thoughts on just you know reflecting on how quickly and immensely a gaming franchise can just change the drop of a hat. Mm-hmm. I was going to talk about God of War, because mm-hmm. God of War is an interesting example to me as a as a reboot i know i've just had a i think the video will be coming out later this week on you know games that i couldn't really get into mm-hmm. but even though you look at the the god of war reboot as divesting from the traditions of the first series it made a point about doing that mm-hmm. and in you know emulating you know kind of a souls-esque slower paced combat it didn't lose it, it was still a God of War game because yeah. it was about the the, char- the core of the character and the themes of the series. And that kind of is a testament to how if you make a good, a compelling enough story that you know is centered around the original premise of your franchise, you can retain your identity by venturing into different genres. It doesn't necessarily mean it has to be, you know... And in doing that, they brought me in. I was yeah. never really a big fan of those original mm-hmm. God of Wars because... It felt a bit like, say, oh, it's one of the, it's a Scorpion King game, but with a bit more pale on it. But now it's like the story and everything like that is it's compelling, really, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, mm. like I wanted Kratos and his son Atreus mm-hmm. to get to the end, and I wanted to see that all the way through. Whereas before, I just never felt compelled to. Because it felt like it's just like an action game, yeah. it? in a way. I'm not like writing off. I'm just yeah. saying there's a very different tone to it. But I'm just thinking of a few different other uh, franchises that aren't haven't been afraid to switch it up. No Man's Sky was definitely a reactive one to mm-hmm. the fan thing. But look at it now. Look at how like successful it's become. And you've got, like even as bad as Fallout 76 is, at least it tried to break the mold of its own limitations mm-hmm. and just try something new. Then you've got... Probably the greatest, more like covert one is Mario. Yeah, Ma- they, yeah, they Ma- just make new games and put that cast in the games or they give him a water pack sometimes or he throws all, his hat at all people. of a sudden it's just like the best thing that they could possibly yeah, have ever yeah. made like Luigi's Mansion as a spin-off thing is, is absolutely fantastic yeah so with single player experiences as I know it doesn't count for everything because a gaming friend like I you know, you think of Assassin's Creed having a trademark character that can change the flick of mm-hmm. the switch as well but if you look at something like a Mario or a Luigi they can basically go into anything they can be a sports game they can be a horror game they can be you know the, the, the classic 2D player platformer and they're still quintessentially Mario games and that's not just from him being called Mario no. that is a feeling that Nintendo have been able to cultivate over decades and decades of practice. Do you know what it is? It's mm. because unlike all of these other companies that have been uh, invested in trying to give the player experience as the main focus or they've been trying to do uh, something with their gimmicks as it were it's an investment in a mascot. A mascot allows a company to have an identity, an avatar that they can do whatever they want with. You will notice that you've got Crash, um, Sonic, Mario, all of these mascots are able to be in genres that would never ever fit them normally because 
that's the company as it's as a projection doing whatever it wants to do, mm. which is fantastic. That mm. that's where we need to go. Is yeah. more companies need to have identities that are like mascots and identifiable characters. Mm. And on that salient note, <laughs> I think that brings our discussion for a close. Uh, to a not for a close, to a close. Uh, please let us know what you think about video game franchises progressing and changing, and whether they're actually losing touch with their own identities. Because I'm really interested about this issue mm. down in the comments below and over on social media. If you're listening on Acast, I believe we're on mm-hmm. and Spotify and other places. Yeah. But yeah, and um, please be sure to follow all of us on Twitter. You can catch. Jules at Retro J with a zero. You can catch Ben Roy at at Ben Roy Turner. And you can catch me at You and Ruins Things. Yeah, that has been the What Culture Gaming Podcast. Have a great day, and we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye. Gooigi. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.